Hey, good morning. Thank you for joining us for a recent sermon from Harvest Baptist Church. I'm Mark Likens. I'm the lead pastor here at Harvest. We're a Bible-believing, gospel-centered, grace-driven church family right here in Natrona Heights, Pennsylvania. And if you'd like to learn more about our ministry, you can visit us on Facebook or at harvestbaptist.info. Now, I hope you enjoyed today's sermon. It's my prayer that this will encourage and equip you in your relationship with God. Today, we're going to look at verse 8 all the way down through verse number 12. So let's read it together and see what the text has to say to us. Hebrews eleven eight 8 says, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. Don't parents want that? I tell you to do something and they obeyed, right? That's a great, you know, do this, okay, you know, right away, all the way with a good attitude, he obeys. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, his son and grandson, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah, his wife, herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky a multitude and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. When you look at this text and you look at this man's life, there is a negative aspect to the text, there's a positive aspect to the text, and then there's an imperative aspect to the text. And I want us to take those in turn. So first is the negative aspect. This is what Abraham did not have. In verses 8 and 9, you may have missed it, but it makes it very clear that Abraham did not have a couple things, namely control and comfort. Verse number 8 puts it this way that Abraham was called by God to go to a place that he would inherit, and he obeyed and he went, but he did not know whither he went. God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, go. Where? Don't worry about it. Not your job. I'm in control. I'll tell you where to go. I'll get you where you need to go. I just want you to leave, and I want you to trust me. Now, that's a scary proposition, is it not? I want you to leave and go, but you don't know where. It's, isn't it scary enough for us when we're five years old and we're going into kindergarten? We know it awaits us on the other side of the door, but it's still scary to leave home as a little five-year-old or to leave you as parents, let your five-year-old go, and to put them on the bus or let them go. It's scary to graduate high school. It's exciting, but it's also scary. And then to venture off into uh, the tech school or college or the first job. It's scary to go to college, even though you know what awaits you a little bit. When you leave college and you start the career field, scary again, even though you know. Abraham was willing to go even though he didn't know. That's real scary. He didn't have control. He said, God, you're in control, but I'll follow you and I'll have faith. But then verse number 9 says this, that he didn't have comfort. And it says it in this way, that he sojourned. He's going to a land that he will inherit eventually and will be the place for his people and his offspring. But he never got that. He sojourned. He dwelt in a land, it was like he was always a stranger. He never got to call it home, really. And he dwelt in tabernacles or tents. He never got to set up the house. He never got to build the temple. He never got to, to, to make, you know, the family farm. He was always going around in tents. What's it saying? He never got comfortable. 
He never, even though that place would be the forever home, for him it never was. There was never an option for him. There was no control for Abraham. There was no comfort for Abraham, but he still trusted God. Are you willing to put faith in God in that way, in a way that you would not need control or comfort? And in my experience, the vast majority of evangelical Americans would maybe give up one, but definitely not both. Oh, yeah, I'll give Jesus control because I'm a Christian, right? He's Lord. Lord means Lord, so he'll be in control as long as, you know, I stay happy because God wouldn't want me to be unhappy. God wouldn't want me to be uncomfortable, right? He would want me to always be very healthy. He would always want me to be very prosperous. He would always want me to have the best. He would always want me to be happy because, after all, isn't that God's ultimate aim is my happiness? And I know I'm saying it sarcastically, but that's how a lot of people put it. No, I, I don't know where we got that. Like, I I don't see that in the life of Abraham. I don't see that in the life of Jesus. Remember that one time Jesus gave up control, that whole garden episode where he's like, not my will, but thine be done? What happened after that? Lots of comfort? The cross happened after that, did it not? And if I gave you an opportunity and I said, give me a thousand adjectives for the cross of Jesus Christ, comfortable would never make the list. You'd put a whole bunch of words down, but comfort is not one of them. Did you see the pattern? Abraham, I will have faith. I will trust the Lord with all that I am. I'm going to have to give up control. I'm not going to be very comfortable. Jesus, I will, I will cede control. God, your will be done. Not very comfortable. Now, I don't know what God has in store for you. I'm not saying that he will never give you comfort or ease, but I know this. I know you want comfort, and I know you don't like it when things get uncomfortable. I know that much. We have gotten very good in our society of making things as comfortable as we possibly can. I'm not even fundamentally against it. But I don't think the mattresses 50 years ago were that bad. But we've been able to upgrade those and make them increasingly comfortable, have we not? We're making mattresses like out of jello now and water and purple stuff, like new materials we invented, numbers for all of our... I mean, we, we were comfortable in our cars, at least I think. I mean, we weren't... Horses and carriages don't sound all that comfortable to me. Here we were in our cars, but we had to, our window, right? That hurts our bicep. That's not, we need a button to push, right? Now the newer cars have, you know, there's fans and massaging, and there's all kinds of stuff happening. Why? Because we want to be more comfortable, right? That's so stereotypical of us. The more comfortable we can get, the better. And like I said, I'm not fundamentally opposed to it, but I am opposed to that mindset creeping into our Christian lives, and now we presume that God will always make us comfortable. Not the case. Abraham wasn't comfortable. Jesus was not comfortable on that cross. But it was the will of God for their life. And, it, and you can look at examples like that, but you can also just look, if you just read the Bible, like pick it up and read it, you will find texts that tell you plain as day, written clear and bold and black and white, things like, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. You get what he's saying? Don't scratch your head when the circumstances aren't all great and there's a trial, not just a trial, a fiery trial. That does not sound great to me. Why would you scratch your head as though something weird happened? Why would you have such a romanticized view of life or of Christianity that God would never allow anything to happen to you that didn't feel good? 
that wasn't exactly what you wanted, that he would somehow take your plan and he would work by your plan all the time and he would just make your life super comfy. Peter says, no, that's not what Jesus ever said. There's fiery trials that come our way. And listen as to why. This is important that you don't miss this. But rejoice. Rejoice in what? In the trial. How? That's weird. Rejoice that I lost my job? Rejoice that I, my health went sideways? Rejoice that this did not go according to plan? How would I do that? Inasmuch as you ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, you're in the same boat Jesus was in, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. What is it saying? It's saying what the Bible says over and over again, that while we do not appreciate trials and we do not appreciate discomfort in our life, it is a tool in the hand of God that he employs often that will do something in you and to you that comfort never will. It's, it's what I've come to think of as, as high leverage and long handled. So if you have ever um, worked on a car or maybe even done something with carpentry or even just put together some Ikea furniture, and I, if you have that in front of you today, I'm sorry. Come to the seminar tonight, it'll be way better than that. You understand what it's like to put, to take an Allen wrench and to, you know, put in that little screw, or you understand what it's like to have a bolt that's rusted on your car and you have to break it free, right? The longer the handle you get on your Allen wrench or on your socket set, the more leverage you now have and the easier that that will break free. The, more, the, the longer the handle and the higher the leverage, the easier the stuff on the other end will move out of the way and the, and the, with more force, like it will move further out of the way because it's long handled, right? Suffering is a long handle that God uses in our life that sometimes there are things that just won't break loose and there are things that just won't move. There are idols in our heart and he has to employ suffering or discomfort as a way to get enough leverage to finally move that out of your life. And we don't like that. I know we don't. I don't like it. I'll be the first to admit it. What's the way it goes? And Abraham understood he had faith that was strong enough to say there's a negative aspect here. I'm not going to have control. I'm not going to have comfort. I'm going to have to let that go by the wayside. Now, to be clear, I am not saying enjoy pain for the fun of it, okay? I'm not saying be a masochist. I'm not saying pray, God, please give me trials. Please give me trials. Please give me trials. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that when God allows them, understand it's first for his glory, also for your good, but his goal is not to make you as comfortable as possible. That's not his goal. His goal is to mature you and to grow you up and to help you. And sometimes that means you don't get control and you don't get comfort. It's just frankly what it means. So walking with God, walking, having a life of faith, wanting to live that life of faith means sometimes, bottom line, circumstances stink. That's what it means. It's the bluntest way that I could possibly put it. Sometimes your circumstances are just not what you would want. But even in those moments, you trust God. And by the way, I should note this. Abraham is 75 when God comes to him and tells him to leave and to go to another country. You don't see it in this text, but if you read the, the Genesis account of this, you would find very clear that Abraham is 75 years old, which I think is an important lesson to those of you that, I'll put it this way, are in the back half of your life. 75 years old, so I don't need the comfort, I don't need the control, and isn't it true the older you get, the more you really do kind of want that comfort and control? 
I don't need it. I'll let it go. I'll have faith in God. But there's more than the negative aspect. There's also a positive aspect. Not what he did not have, but you also want to see what he did have. And this is important. Because if all you have is a negative aspect of, well, he said it bluntly, life stinks sometimes. If that's all you got, it will be better than a romanticized, like, Oprah-ific, spirit, you know, fingers, everything is awesome, Lego movie sort of mantra. It'll be better than that. Because if you just have, like, the everything is awesome mentality, eventually that bubble will pop, and it will be very painful. But if all you have is a negative that, well, I just got to give up control, and I just have to give up my comfort, then you will become a cynic. You may become stoic at best. Well, life is just going to beat me down. I just got to take it, and I just got to, you know, kind of roll with the punches. And you have to have the positive with it. Like salt needs pepper and peanut butter needs jelly. The negative aspect needs this positive aspect, and that's found in verse number 10. Here we go. It says, Abraham, he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Now, what's all that about? Here's Abraham who will give up control. He'll dwell in tabernacles. He'll be a sojourner. But he does. He gives that up. But he does have this. He's fixed and focused and looking for a city. And the designer of this city, the architect, is God. Now, simply put, I could elaborate a lot on this, but the simplest way to put this is it's talking about heaven. It's talking about what God has for us in the future. And Abraham knew that what I have right now is sojourning. That's not for me. That's, that's you know, I'm going to be intense. This isn't going to be comfortable. He knew that, but he was not dominated by his vision of Canaan land. He was not dominated by his vision of the promised land. He was dominated and thoroughly understood and had a vision of a heavenly calling, of a, of a city whose architect and designer was God. And that's important. You know, every city that my wife and I have lived in, we've generally found a park that we liked above all the other parks, or maybe one that was just close in proximity. So for us, we live really close to Harrison Hills up here in Natrona Heights, and we take our kids there pretty often, and, and we're, we're in that park pretty often. And I like parks, but I found something to be true of parks. They're great to go have fun in, but when people start to live in them, they get real crummy. Ever notice that? You go into a park that people have started to sleep in and live in and and camp out in. They're no longer good. It really hurts it. Because as beautiful as a park is, and as much as it has to offer, it's not meant to be lived in. That's not the purpose. And while I don't want to ignore that this life has beauties and immensities and things that are wonderful, it's wonderful to hold your newborn child It's wonderful to see that sunset or to visit that place. It's wonderful sometimes even when we get accolades or we see the fruit of our labor at work. All of those things can be rewarding and wonderful. But at the end of the day, they're a park. And you're not really meant to park there or to dwell there or to live there. And and Abraham understood that. That while Canaan land may be awesome or milk or honey or, or, you know, grapes or whatever it has to offer, this place of permanence that will be for my family, my real place of permanence is not here on this earth, but he had his vision and his heart and his eyes on something that was eternal, and that was able to propel him and allow him to have a life of faith. And if you miss that, 
the reality that you live here and you work here and God has a plan for you here, but this life is a vapor and eternity is a long time and there is another life after this life. There is a real heaven. There is a God. There are eternal rewards. If you miss the reality of what the Bible teaches on that and all you have is the negative aspect, it'll be really tough. You have to have the hope of the positive with it. You have to have your heart marinate in that. This is how Paul put it to the Colossians. He says, if you're risen with Christ, then seek the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on the things above, not on things on the earth. Take your attention and take your affection and put them up there with God. Put them on eternity. But let's be honest. Is this not tough? It's, it's difficult. Because we can have a day then a week, then a month go by where there's so much happening here. And I have so many projects and I have so much stress and so many tasks and my schedule's so full and we're running around, running around, running around, trying to do this, trying to do that, trying to get this, trying to earn that, trying, trying to get to the, to the forever home because I don't like the starter home and, try, and doing all of these things down here that oftentimes we get so busy that we cease to stop and to think or even to pray like Jesus instructed us to pray in the model prayer where he said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Remember that? Thy kingdom come. You know what he's saying? Start some prayers with God. Bring on the kingdom. Bring on the day where you will rule and reign. Bring on the day where your righteousness will prevail. Bring on the day where my health will be full and whole and I won't have to have this, this clay of a body to wrestle with anymore. God, I look forward to that. I long for that. Bring it on, right? If you're not careful, you'll go through life and you, and you, and you, won't, you won't have that heart. Abraham had that heart of I am constantly looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Abraham understood the promises. And while his promises aren't exactly our promises, we understand we have promises. Remember Jesus? Hey, in my father's house are many mansions. There's, there's a heaven. It's real. It's pretty awesome. There's opulence. There's permanency there. Like, there's many mansions. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. And hey, I'm going away, guys. I'm going to die. I'm going to sin. I'm going away. But if I go away, I'm going to prepare a place. And you can bank on it. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again. I'm going to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you can be. And, and all of you can be. We can be together there, right? Promises. Promises of heaven. Promises that he'd come. Promises that those would be ours. Promises that we can be with others who have put their faith in Jesus. Those are valuable. Those are hopeful. You can't lose sight of those. You have to have the positive. Yeah, negative. Don't, you don't have control. You don't have comfort. But you got a whole lot of hope from Jesus is what you do have. But lastly, I want you to see what is the imperative aspect. Verse number 11 starts, Sarah, the wife of Abraham, and here's, here's what it says. This isn't what Abraham had. This is whom Abraham had. Listen to it. Through faith, also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed. And what a blessing that, that just line is. She was delivered of a child when she was past age, listen to this, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, sprang even of one, from Abraham to Isaac, Isaac to Jacob, and then Jacob to the twelve, and then so on and so forth. And him as good as dead, talking about Abraham, so many as the stars of the sky and the multitude, and the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. The author is writing to the Hebrew people and saying, we know that came true. 
We know there's now all these, all these generations and all these people and this, and this, this great you know, nation. But this happened how? By faith. And it happened by faith because Sarah and Abraham both, we take it, judged God faithful when God had promised. You say, what do you mean they judged him faithful? How, when, when was that? What happened? And here's the story. I'm not going to have you turn there. I'm just going to tell it to you. You can read it on your own if you want. It's in Genesis 15. God had come to Abraham and said, basically threefold, I'm going to give you a lamb. I'm going to give you a whole lot of descendants, like sand on the seashore number, like a lot. And I will bless all the nations of the earth through your seed, which we know that was Jesus, and everyone's been blessed through that. But he gave him these promises that had not yet been fulfilled. And it tells us that Abraham does believe God, and it's counted unto him for righteousness, which is always the way it works. You want righteousness before God? You believe him in faith. That's the way it works. And Abraham and Sarah, they certainly have these moments where their faith falters a little bit. That happens. A few years go by, and Sarah and Abraham begin to doubt, and they try to do their own thing to have seed with Hagar the handmaiden. And it's not always perfect. It's not always perfect. But he believes God's counting him for, for righteousness. But Abraham asks God, he says, God, how do I know this is going to be true? I do believe you, but could you give me something so I can know? And in Genesis 15, God says, okay, Abraham, I will. And if you don't know what you're reading, you would read it and say, like, this is the craziest thing I've ever, what is this? He tells Abraham, I want you to get a whole bunch of animals. And I want you to cut them up, like in pieces. And I want you to make like a runway. I want you to put a whole bunch of the pieces over here and a whole bunch of the pieces over there. Which in that day and age was stereotypical. We don't do this now. Uh, but we sign contracts now is how we do it. But this was the way of having a contract or most specifically a covenant. It was something that was deeply sacrificial that you had to, to give of your animals and livestock to do this. And then you and whoever you made a covenant with would walk between like this aisle of diced up animals you would walk down that aisle together and it was a way to signify to anyone who was there that this is a covenant between us, whatever the terms were. And if I break this, this is a big deal. Like God can cut me up like that. Like I'm, I'm done for, I can never go back on my word. It was a way to really, really signify the importance of, of an agreement that two parties were making. So God tells Abraham to do it. Abraham, probably knowing exactly what he was talking about and expecting to somehow make a covenant with God. And then God puts Abraham to sleep, in a deep sleep, and a deep darkness comes. And God shows up in a theophany. He shows up in this lamp, in this torch, in this fire. And Abraham's on the sideline. And God walks the path and says, Abraham, I am making a covenant with you. What I said is true. The terms are legitimate. I will never go back on it, but I don't need you. This isn't about you. It's not about, it's not about you have, doing your part, you keeping your end of the deal. It's, it's not that. It's me, and I will be faithful, and I will be true, and I am making you a promise. And Abraham and Sarah took that moment, and they judged God to be faithful, the one who had promised. And they said, we know not because of us, not because we're great, not because we've done something, but we know we have a God who will keep his end of the deal. He cannot lie, and he will come through. And if you're, if you're not careful, you're tempted to say, okay, great. 
Abraham had faith. God made him a promise. God never made me a promise. He, he never told me to cut up animals or walk the runway with them or did any of that with me. You know, that was Abraham's deal. It's not my deal. Can I judge God to be faithful in the same way? Absolutely. Give it quite a few years, quite a few centuries. And God would come, not in a torch, not in a fire. He would come in the form of a baby. Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He would live for a few years and he would sit down with his disciples and he would make a covenant with him. He would make a new covenant with him, a new testament, as it were. And he would sit down and he would say, I have some promises for you boys. And he begins to lay out how things will operate he begins to tell them that I, I, heaven is real. I will come and receive my own. You can be there with me. He begins to make them promises. And he says, this time though, I'm not gonna cut up some animals and walk in the middle of it. I'm gonna be the sacrifice. I'm gonna cut myself up. No one takes my life. I'm the good shepherd. I'm gonna lay down my life willingly. I'm gonna take my soul in one hand, and my body in the other, and I'm gonna rip myself apart. And I'm going to put on display for anyone who ever questions my love, whoever questions my faithfulness, whoever thinks that I did not mean it, the most potent example that I could ever give, that my word is true, that I will be found faithful, and that you can bank on me. And the author of Hebrews, will go on to see this, especially on Easter Sunday, will go on to say that while Abraham had promises, and while Abraham had a faithful God, and while Abraham was able to judge him faithful, we have something better. We have better promises. We have better evidence. We have, we have more to substantiate that if Jesus would make himself the sacrifice and he would make that covenant with us and he would give of himself in that way, then we can know that we know that we know that he's faithful, that he's right, that he's true, and that we can trust him. And while it may mean no control, and while it may mean he gets the lordship, while it may mean we're not that comfortable, it may mean all those things, we can still have the faith of Abraham, dare I say, even better faith because we have a more excellent sacrifice, we have a more excellent promise, we even have a more excellent resurrection that now is in the past for us that we look to, that we can anchor off to that, what Hebrews 6 would call an anchor for our soul, that we can know that God's faithful. So do not ever, I know it's elemental, but do not ever lose sight of the fact that God's faithful. We can trust him, we can trust him, we can trust him. We can put our faith in him. Hey, this is Pastor Mark again, and I wanted to take a moment and just say thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that the message both challenged and encouraged you from the word of God. Maybe you're listening for the first time, I want you to know that we believe the most important decision you'll ever make is the decision to know Jesus in a personal, intimate way. To find out more about that, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash gospel. If you live in one of the four counties that are church borders, Allegheny, Westmoreland, Armstrong, Butler, and you don't have a church home, then we would invite you to come and to worship with us and join in the gospel work that God is doing here at Harvest Baptist Church. Maybe you're a regular listener and God's laying it on your heart to support the ministry and the outreach of Harvest. Your gift would help us reach more people more effectively with the gospel message. If you'd like to partner with us for ministry in Western Pennsylvania and around the world, you can visit harvestbaptist.info forward slash give. Again, thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.